Good morning, everyone. Actually, it feels a bit strange for me to say that because it's a Friday evening when I'm recording this. The extended half term has made it a little bit more challenging than usual to find a quiet time in my house to record this video. But I'm glad now to have the time and to be able to welcome you to worship. It's great to gather together today, whether it's online or the small group of us who'll be meeting at the church building on Sunday morning. I'm going to do something a little bit different for our call to worship today. We're going to have a call and response. And we're using some words from Psalm 89. The words will appear on your screen. If you feel comfortable, respond with the words in yellow. I will sing of your steadfast love, O Lord, forever. With my mouth I will proclaim your faithfulness to all generations. I declare that your steadfast love is established forever. Your faithfulness is as firm as the heavens. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to my servant David. I will establish your descendants forever and build your throne for all generations. Praise the Lord. Let's begin our time of worship now as we pray together. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, at the beginning of this service of worship, we praise you that you are immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light and accessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. The words of this beloved hymn remind us of how different you are from us. You are the creator, we are your creatures. Everything we have is given by you, even our very lives. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your love that never fails. And most of all, we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our Lord. Father, we know that we are a people of failing faith. But we know also that the one in whom we trust is steadfast and sure. You are our refuge and our strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. Help us today, Lord, as we gather together, whether online or in person, help us to make you our focus, as we seek to honour you in our time of worship. We ask this of you now, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. We continue our journey through the life of Abraham today with our reading from Genesis chapter 16. The words will be on the screen if you'd like to read along. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go, sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. 
Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had, had been living in the land of Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, You are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, Go. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard of your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hands will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him. And he will live in hostility towards all his brothers. She gave this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. That is why the well was called Beer Lahai Roy. It is still there between Kadesh and Bered. So Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram gave the name Ishmael to the son she had born. Abram was eighty six years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. You may have noticed that each of the sermons in our series so far has had a simple verb as its title. Christoph has assigned all of the sermons in this series with a short action word, which kind of helpfully summarises what's going on in the passage we're looking at. So far we've had starting, failing, committing, blessing and believing. Well, today's sermon is called Doubting. Now, to be honest with you, I'm not entirely sure this is the right word for this chapter. Christoph's not here today, so I feel safe enough to say that, though I'm just realising that this is being recorded, so it may well backfire on me. But you see, I don't think doubting's the right word, 
Because perhaps if this narrative was all about Abraham and Sarai, well then, it would be the right word. But it isn't all about them. It's about someone else as well. It's about a figure that we can easily forget. A character that, to be honest, we would forget if only, uh, uh, sorry, if it weren't for the fact that the Bible simply won't let us forget her. I'm talking, of course, of the enslaved Egyptian woman, Hagar. Her story comes as an unexpected subplot, doesn't it? So far, our attention has been on Abram and his family. And all of a sudden, we get this surprising twist as somebody else is brought into his family. But with her story, we discover something truly marvellous about the God who has made these promises to Abram. We discover that he is a God who is far more compassionate and far more gracious than even Father Abram could comprehend. So I'm going to stick with Christoph's title, but I want to be clear that it only tells half the story. There's more happening in this chapter than mere doubting. Much more. But we'll get to all that shortly. I guess we better stick with this theme of doubting for a moment. After all, this is Abraham's story, isn't it? It's in his footsteps that we've been following these past weeks. And boy, it's been a bumpy ride, hasn't it? As we've remarked already, or before in this series, there have been lots of ups and downs. With all this oscillating between faith and feeling, we've been left feeling a little bit dizzy. For the past few weeks, I think we've been riding quite high. Maybe reaching a peak last Sunday with those words that have come to epitomise Abraham as the man of faith. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. Well, we might think today then that Abraham is all set, all set on this upward trajectory, the mature man of faith content to wait patiently for God to do what God has promised. But then we read chapter 16 and we discover that Abraham has taken a bit of a dip again. The scales seem to be tipped more in the direction of failing than faith this week. You see, while chapter 15 last week, you'll remember, ended with this assurance of God's unequivocal promises to Abraham. The very first verse we find here in chapter 16 confronts us with a painful reality that the fulfilment of these promises is slow in coming. Very slow, in fact. Indeed, the words of the covenant with Abraham at the end of chapter 15 are still ringing in our ears when we are hit with the abrupt opening here. Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. The contrast couldn't be starker. In the previous chapter, we have this extravagant image of Abraham's heirs outnumbering the very stars in the sky. And then just a few verses later in chapter 16, well, what do we have? An elderly, childless couple. Despite all their waiting and all their hoping, the promised son has not arrived. And so maybe we can understand it. 
when Abraham and Sarai respond in that very human way, when they doubt. But let's be clear. They're not actually doubting that God will fulfill his promises. It's maybe not the way Abraham had doubted in the past. It's more here that they doubt that God will fulfill his promises in the way he, they had hoped. You see, up until now, they had assumed that Abraham's promise would include Sarai. But faced with old age, maybe worn down by years of disappointment and tireless waiting, Sarai begins to question, is there another way? Is there an easier way? After all, if you think about it, God never explicitly made the promise, or when he, God's promise of a child never explicitly stated that Sarai would be the one to carry the child in her womb. All Abraham was told was that a child would come from his own flesh and blood. We see this in the last chapter in verse 4. But a son who is from your own flesh and blood will be your heir. James McKeown points out the complexity of what's going on here. He writes this, Abraham and Sarai, while acknowledging the overall control of God in the situation, paradoxically, out of desperation, invite a third person into the relationship. But we're not going to judge Abraham and Sarai too harshly. The truth is, it's difficult to have faith when all of the evidence seems to be pointing in the other direction. It's hard to hold on to hope when we're faced with daily disappointment. We live in a world that is very dark, don't we? There are huge challenges facing all of us. Maybe on a personal level for you, but certainly on a collective level. In particular, this pandemic has made us all feel a little bit desperate at times. And the great temptation for us is to say, a bit like Sarai, well, desperate times call for desperate measures. But you know, desperation is not the answer. The only antidote for despair is hope. The only response to doubt is faith. And I realise I might sound a little bit trite here, but I'm not. As you get to know me, you'll realise I am not one for platitudes. I realise that faith is not easy. But I want to remind you of something that Christoph said early on in this series and something that we've repeated a couple of times since, because it bears repeating. Our hope does not depend on the strength of our faith. It depends on the one in whom we've placed our hope. Is that sinking in yet? Is it starting to take root? Even your most prolonged doubts, your worst failures, your deepest despair, none of that will change the objective truth that your hope is secure in the Lord. And please don't misunderstand me here. If you're in a place of desperation today, if you're doubting, my message to you is not, come on, pull yourself together, just have more faith. 
That's not at all what I'm saying. And that's not at all what chapter 16 is saying to you. That would be to look to your own strength again, wouldn't it? And I think this is to drastically underappreciate what's happening in this story in Genesis. Which is why I don't want to reduce it to this cautionary tale about doubt. It's easy to do that. Maybe that's the way we often read this story. You know how it goes. Abraham and Sarai, they try to fast track God's plan, don't they? And the result? Well, it's disaster. Family dysfunction, envy, resentment, contempt. The lesson for us then must be clear. Don't doubt, just have faith. Well, that's easy said. But you know, Genesis 16 is more complex than that. It's more truthful than that. And it's more hopeful than that. It takes the spotlight off the human mistakes in the story, the failure, the doubting, and puts its focus instead on the redemptive ways of God. Like Abraham and Sarai, we don't always get things right. That's stating the obvious, isn't it? Yes, we acknowledge God's sovereignty in our lives, his ultimate control. But this doesn't mean we don't struggle to see the way ahead. I know that's true for me. Making the right decision is not always easy. In fact, very often it's very difficult to make the right decision. Discerning God's will is not always clear. But when we make poor choices, when we get things wrong, whether it's a well-intentioned detour or a downright mistake, what does God do? What does this story tell us that he does? Does he give up? Does he forget about us? No. God takes the disparate threads of our poor choices and weaves them together into something good. You see that in the story here? I like how the Old Testament scholar John Walton puts it. Where do you hear this? With God, there are no dead ends, only training grounds. Isn't that wonderful? I think we see this most clearly in the story of Hagar. If Genesis 16 was the simple morality tale that I've been describing, then Hagar would not get a mention at all, would she? Think about it. She is, as far as Abram and Sarai are concerned, a mistake. She kind of represents this moment of doubting in God's promises for them. But like I said at the beginning, the Bible won't let us forget about Hagar, perhaps as much as Abram and Sarah would like us to. In fact, quite the opposite here, isn't it? There's an awful lot of attention given to Hagar in this chapter. With remarkable compassion and grace, God weaves Hagar into his bigger story. Did you notice, as we read it, how God deals with her? Did you notice how radically different it is from how Abraham and Sarai deal with her? Neither of them gave much of a thought for Hagar, did they? They treat her like a commodity in the story. They refer to her only by her status as a slave. Sarai, in particular, 
becomes cruel. When all of a sudden Hagar's status is elevated a little bit when she becomes Abram's wife. And when Abram casts her aside and allows Sarai to treat her harshly, Hagar runs away. And what does Abram do then? Well, he doesn't lift a finger to go after her. He raised an army to go after his, to rescue his nephew Lot. But he doesn't lift a finger to go after his new wife and his unborn child. But it's not like that with God. God doesn't call her a slave. He calls Hagar by name. He gives her dignity. He recognises that she's a person, not a commodity. And when she flees, well, it's as if heaven itself sends out a search party to find her. Did you notice that? Those wonderful words. The angel of the Lord found her. He found Hagar. And notice this. Hagar is one of the few people to be addressed by the angel of the Lord in Genesis And the angel of the Lord, I should point out, is quite a mysterious figure, often taken to be representative of God himself. Not even Sarai is given this honour in the story. Only Hagar. And there's more. Not only does God acknowledge Hagar, we read that he actually bestows blessings upon her. This pagan woman from Egypt, this slave, this nobody... And God bestows promises like the promises he's made to Abraham, the father of our faith. Look again at what God says to her. I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Does that sound familiar? You will give birth to a son, Hagar is told. You shall name him Ishmael, for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. I love that verse. And it does sound, I think, on the first reading a little bit negative, doesn't it? As if Ishmael's going to be this villain. But actually, as scholars that I was reading this week point out, this reference to the wild donkey of a man really is to underscore that unlike his mother who lives in slavery, Ishmael will be free. He'll be a servant of no man. Well, Hagar recognises God's goodness to her, God's blessing and compassion immediately, doesn't she? Did you notice how she responds? You are the God who sees me. Isn't this remarkable when you really think about it? You are the God who sees me. Here we have this apparent mistake in the story, this blot on God's perfect plan for Abraham. And she's given the honour Of being the first theologian in the Bible. She's the first person to give God a name. El Roy. The God who sees. Abraham and Sarai saw a mistake. God saw a person. God sees. Genesis chapter 16 ends with Hagar returning to Abraham and Sarai. It's another surprising twist, isn't it? We maybe don't expect it. There's no suggestion as well that she's going to be treated any better when she returns. But there is an important difference. What is it? 
Hagar has encountered the God who sees her. She knows that she's watched over by the Creator God. Wow. We started this sermon sermon with the word doubting. That's what we see when we read this story, don't we? We see Abraham and Sarai's doubts and failings. And it's what we often see when we look at our own lives. Maybe it's what you see today. But God doesn't only see Abraham and Sarai's doubting in this story. He sees Hagar. And God doesn't see your failures. He sees you. Or maybe I should be a little bit more accurate here. He sees Jesus in whose likeness you are being formed. You see, what's most important about our lives is not where we are, but what we're becoming. Do you see that? Yes, we make mistakes, we sin. And we live sometimes with the painful consequences of those mistakes. We can make all kinds of strange detours in our lives. We can stumble into seemingly bad decisions. But through all this, God is able to conform us into the character of Christ. So don't despair today. Don't look upon your feelings. Look to your Father God, the one who sees you, the one who sees what you will become. In the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now we come to our prayers for ourselves and others. We pray for our church family here at Kirkpatrick, for Christoph and his family, and for the people at Hamilton Road, Bangor, where Christoph is preaching this morning. We're also members of the family of humankind, and we want to remember today all of those around the world who are suffering because of this COVID-19 epidemic. So let's pray. Eternal God, we thank you for your hand at work throughout history, shaping our world and directing the course of human life. We thank you for the commitment of Abram, for his willingness to step out into the unknown, to walk by faith, to trust in your promises, despite his doubts and fears at times. And we thank you for all those who through the centuries have shown that same trust and obedience in following you. Especially, Lord, we thank you for those who have encouraged us in the faith and have walked with us in our journey of discipleship. We thank you in particular for Christoph. And on this day when he's preaching at Hamilton Road, we pray for him and the members of that congregation as they seek your will regarding the future. And we remember not only Christoph, but Claire and the family, Patrick, Sophie and Ruby. At this time of uncertainty and anxiety, give them in their hearts the assurance that their lives and their future is in your hands and that your purpose and plan for each of them is good. 
We pray also for our own church family here at Kirkpatrick. Help us to know that your plans for us are good as well. We pray for your blessing on our clerk of session, Gareth, the elders, committee members, organisation leaders, for Mary Rose and our assistant, Paul. May they know your guidance and find renewed energy and commitment for the work they do among us. And we know, Lord, that there are those who face particular difficulties at this time. We pray for those in our fellowship who are ill, those who are in constant pain and discomfort, those who are increasingly frail and are finding it difficult to cope with everyday life, those whose minds are becoming clouded, those who face terminal illness, those suffering the pain of loneliness after bereavement. We think too of those who are finding these days of COVID-19 very hard to bear. Lay your hand of healing and blessing on all such, Lord. Help them to know that underneath and all around them are your everlasting arms of love and that you'll never fail them nor forsake them. We pray for all others for whom this is a difficult time. We pray for our children and young people, their education and their friendship patterns disrupted, their contacts with the church diminished. Sustain in them their trust in you. And we pray for all those among us for whom COVID-19 has brought uncertainty, whose jobs or businesses or incomes have become insecure or whose future plans have been destroyed. Give them the strength to keep going and the certainty that you are still with them and that in the end all will be well again, though maybe in a different way. We pray for all those among us who, because of the work they do, are in particular danger of contacting this virus. We are grateful for what they do. We ask you to protect them from infection. We pray, Lord, for all those who are searching for a vaccine or a cure from COVID-19. We thank you for those who have agreed to take part in various medical trials. We plead, Lord, that soon a vaccine or a cure may be found. Lord, help us all within the church and in wider society to be disciplined and to play our part at this time that the infection may be brought under, con under control. Guide our politicians and their advisors that they may be wise in the steps they take as they seek to lead us out of this crisis. Creator God, you are the ruler of all creation. Deliver us from this evil. Throughout history, you have brought order out of chaos and good out of evil and hope out of despair, life out of death. Do it once again in our broken world today. Lord, we thank you that we can place our trust in you, confident that though all else may fail, your love and protecting power will last forever. And in this confidence, 
we offer these our prayers and our very lives to you through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Just a few announcements for you as we come to the end of our time of worship together. First of all, I just want to flag up again um, PCI's United Appeal for 2020. Um, You'll find some information about this in Christoph's email from this week. Please do have a look at the links and the video um, to find out ways that you can support this important work of our denomination. And to remind you again that the Home for Good discussion series, um, there's still time to join if you're interested. This series begins on Thursday the 29th of October, so this Thursday coming at 8pm. Again, have a look in this week's email if you want to find out more. An announcement as well to flag up from Storehouse. Thank you to all who've continued to give to the work of Storehouse in recent times. In November, Kirkpatrick Memorial has been asked to donate packets of rice. Hilda will be in the church car park on Thursday the 12th and Thursday the 26th of November. That's Thursday the 12th and Thursday the 26th of November between 9.30 and 10.30 a.m. If you want to bring your donations then. Also in this week's email there are a few other things you can read about. Paul Lindsay will be doing a virtual Camino, uh, the Camino de Santiago to raise money for Tear Fund's coronavirus appeal. Um, with a link to uh, have a look in the email for a link to his Just Giving page. There'll be an opportunity to give there. Um, Christians in Sport. I know a few folk in Kirkpatrick are involved with Christians in Sport. Well, that organisation is celebrating its 40th anniversary this week. And you'll find the link to a celebration video in your email. Do have a look. Just to mention as well about the phone-in service that I know some um, members of the congregation use to listen to the sermon and parts of the service. There was a slight issue with that last week, just to say that that's now been resolved. So if you know of anyone who's been having problems accessing it, you can reassure them that it's now working properly again. And an important announcement just to remind you that Christoph is going to be on annual leave this week. We continue to pray for him and for Claire and for their children, um, especially today as Christoph preaches for the congregation in Hamilton Road. If you do need any pastoral support in the week ahead, please contact Mary Rose, our pastoral care worker. That's all from me. We're now going to sing our final hymn together, a hymn of commitment and dedication to the Lord. Lord, reign in me. Well, we're now at the end of our time of worship, but our time of fellowship doesn't have to come to an end. So do pick up the phone, call somebody today and let them know you're thinking about them. Maybe even have a go at Zoom if you're not too fatigued by it by now. Our benediction is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.